Good morning. Great to be with you. I was, I was also going to start this morning by just being blown away by our young people from last week. Wasn't it just staggering? I came away just being so grateful for our young people and for our, our youth team. It, it was just incredible. Um, so, yeah, had a great time. Thought to myself, how am I going to follow that is what I actually thought. Um, but this morning, I, I wanted to start actually just by sharing some stories, if that's okay. There are so many amazing things God is doing at the moment. So I just wanted to share a few with you. Sarah, would you mind coming up? This is my friend Sarah Brown. We'll just grab this mic. Um, look at that necklace. I mean, that, that is amazing. What is the prophetic significance of that this morning? You wanted to stand out. Okay, brilliant. Um, Sarah is a teacher in a school locally, and um, just share what's been going on and what you've been trying to do in your classroom with your kids. Okay, a quick backstory. So we moved here just a couple of days before Christmas, and uh, God got me a job in a school in Great Barford. Um, so I've been there uh, just a few weeks, and um, really, um, I felt really stirred after the uh, prophetic conference particularly to, um, I just felt God say to me that, you know, this is my mountain of influence at the moment, and go ahead and influence it. Um, so what I've been trying to do in my classroom is build a culture of honor and authenticity with the children who are six and seven. So um, I've been involved with uh, TSM for a number of years, so I thought I'd use the activations from TSM with the class. So we've, uh, so far we've done speed encouragements. Um, so teaching them how to encourage each other and not just to say, oh, you've got pretty hair, um, but actually to talk about their character and... Um, so it sort of modelled that to them, how, how they would do that. And then last week, we um, spoke about the power of their words. And they've got a choice to make every day to encourage and build each other up or discourage. So we, um, I gave them all a shield um, to write on, uh, you know, so they could say, my words are powerful. And um, arrows that they had to write on things about their character that they want to celebrate. Um, so I introduced it to them and modelled that to them. And then I said, if, you, if you're not sure... Um, what you want to write, stay on the carpet and I'll help you. To which most of the class just stayed on the carpet. So then I had to line them up and go down the line, encouraging them and telling them what is amazing about themselves, which they then wrote on the arrows and their shields and they're up on the wall at the moment in the classroom. So bit by bit, I'm trying to change the culture in that classroom. So good, Sarah. Brilliant. So good. Um, Another story, a friend of mine, Caroline Cameron, is she here today? No, Caroline's a, f- a friend in this, in this church, and um, she tells this story where she was on a, a part of her work, she had to go to Guernsey, like a lot, just one day, trip to Guernsey, and as she was packing for her trip, she felt God prompt her to put um, postcards in her bag, and she uses these postcards sometimes to prophesy over people. She'll get people to pick a picture, and then she'll use the picture to prophesy over that person to share God's heart with them. So she felt prompted to pack these postcards. Anyway, the day goes on. She's at the lot, the end of a very long day, and she's at security at Guernsey Airport, and they stop her, and they take her to a side, and they, ha- they have to unpack her entire bag. And she's feeling a little bit frustrated, but the woman who's unpacking the bag spots the postcards and asks her about them. And so she explains, well, these are my cards, and sometimes I use them to share what God wants to say to people. Would you like to have a go? Would you like to see what God wants to say to you? And the lady said, yes, please. I mean, I'm feeling provoked hearing this story. Whenever I'm stopped at that security, I'm annoyed. Anyone else? I was like, get me at home quickly. Anyway, the lady picks, the security lady picks a postcard. Caroline prophesies over her, shares about God's love. 
talks about a, a recent time when she was criticized but said, God loves your unique character. And she said the woman was totally blown away and six different times she thanked Caroline for sharing what she'd shared and she just got to tell her God loves you. Isn't that amazing? So, so good. And just one more story that I find so encouraging of a, of a miracle. I recently heard a story of something that happened. I was visiting a church several months ago now, and um, I remember bringing a word of knowledge about someone who needed healing from ulcers. And I was thinking mouth ulcers. But I remember this lady coming up to me at the end, and she had um, colitis, which is essentially a very, very nasty disease, which is an ulcerated colon. And I remember praying for her and God really encountering her and meeting with her and hadn't heard anything since. And I recently, just this last week, um, heard what had happened. And so she explains in her testimony she'd had ulcerative, ulcerative, ulcerative colitis um, for five years. So the whole of her colon was, was ulcerated and she'd put, been put on a waiting list to have a stoma fitted. So we prayed... Um, a few months later, she says this, a few months later, I saw my consultant for my usual checkups. I'd been feeling super well, so I was hoping for good news. To his dismay, the ulcers, inflammation, and damage had completely gone. <laughs> he, he, he couldn't understand or explain it. The need for my operation wasn't there anymore. I told him what happened that day, and that I believed Jesus had healed me. He told me he wasn't a man of faith but even he couldn't help but believe it was divine intervention. Isn't that amazing? So good. And, you know, I just wanted to start with some stories because I just want to say there is so much for us to celebrate. There are so many amazing things going on. There's just three stories that represent something of the bigger picture of what God is doing among us. And I remember being part of this church when this stuff is what we dreamed of. I remember those days when we were crying out to God for more and we weren't seeing hardly anything. And I just want to say there is so much for us to be excited about. But also, there's always more for us to learn, isn't there? There's always more for us to learn in terms of what it looks like to bring God's kingdom and to do the stuff that he calls us to do. And this morning, I'm carrying on our perspective series. And what I want to do this morning is I want to share something of what God has been speaking to me about over the last eight or nine months. And I particularly want to want to talk about God's perspective when it comes to his kingdom breaking in, God's perspective when it comes to our role in bringing his kingdom. And I'm just hoping and praying that God is going to ignite some stuff in us this morning and breathe on some fires and get us going again for some of the stuff God's called us to do. So that's the plan. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to we're going to start at verse 36, and I'm going to be a bit briefer on the first two points and really delve into the third point, because the third point is really where I want to get to and just linger, because that's what God particularly is talking to me about. But let's read Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 36, and uh, it says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his disciples together 
and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. And a bit later on in that same chapter, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. So, let's just pick out a few things we can learn from this, this, these passages. Number one, the harvest is great. The harvest is great. Jesus' perspective in this passage is that the harvest isn't the problem. The problem is with a lack of workers. But his perspective when it comes to the harvest, when it comes to the number of people ready and willing to follow him, is this. It's great. The harvest is great. When Jesus traveled through different towns and villages, what he saw was many, many, many people ready to follow him. When Jesus looks at our schools, our colleges, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our areas we live in, our cities, this nation, the nations, what he sees, his perspective is there are many, 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 many people ready to follow him. The harvest is great. The harvest is great. I wonder what we see. I wonder what we see. The truth is there's, the harvest is plentiful. There's no problem with the harvest. There are people everywhere who are hungry to know Jesus. And I wonder if sometimes we don't see that, we don't see people respond to Jesus in our everyday lives as much as we could because we don't ask people, do you want to know Jesus? I don't know. Maybe sometimes that's what's going on. And, you know, I think even this morning, there might be some of you here this morning, and you're here, and you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, and you're still investigating. But the fact that you're here means there's a hunger, there's an there's a inquisitiveness in your heart. And you may well be part of that plentiful harvest, that, that great harvest who's ready to come to know Jesus this morning. At the end of this meeting, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, because he's drawing you to himself. I think a key question for us, for us to ask ourselves is, are we seeing the harvest like Jesus does? When we look out, when we look around us, when we interact with our work colleagues, our family, strangers on the streets, are we seeing? Have we got this radar? Beep, 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 the harvest is great. This person might be ready. This person might be ready to come to know Jesus. That's his perspective. That's the father's perspective when he looks out. So the first thing that we can learn from this is the harvest is great. Turn to the person next to you and say, the harvest is great. Okay, say it like you mean it, then the other side. The harvest is really great, it's true. Okay. Second thing we can learn. Second thing we can learn is that you and I are God's solution for a lack of workers. So this is really fun. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the, the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask him to send out workers. And I don't know in literal terms how much time there was between the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, but what ends up happening essentially is that the, the disciples become the answer to their own prayers. So Jesus is like, guys, the harvest is plentiful. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask him to send out workers. The disciples are like, Lord, would you send out workers into your harvest field? And then Jesus is like, guys, you know that prayer you were just praying? Off you go. Off you go. How many of you have ever been in that situation where you, are crying, you feel led to pray for something? God, would you please do this? Would you please do something here? And then as you're praying, you realize God is saying, you're the answer. Anybody had that stitch up? 
the disciples are well and truly stitched up. Pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Lord, send workers. Off you go. What I love is that what you see Jesus doing and what you see the disciples doing when they get sent is exactly the same. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, announce, announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And then a few verses later, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. It's the same mandate. Phil Moore, in one of his books, Straight to the Heart of Matthew, puts it like this. The most astonishing thing about Jesus' instruction in this chapter is that he clearly has no expectation that the power of his ministry will in any way be diluted through its multiplication. This was the first leg in a lifetime of learning for the disciples, but right from day one, he told them to heal, drive out demons, and even raise the dead in exactly the same way that he did. He conferred on them his own authority and power and expected his father to work as faithfully through his delegates as he did through himself. Isn't that amazing? Do you need to pinch yourself for a minute? Do you realize this is what this is saying? that Jesus modeled the normal Christian life and that he passed the baton on to his disciples who have now passed it on to us and we get to do exactly the same stuff that Jesus did. Is your brain blown? If it's not, you haven't quite grasped what I've just said. We get to do the stuff that Jesus did. We are the workers who get to go out into the harvest. Just another fun story, I was with a, a church in Leicester a couple of weekends ago and um, uh, just saw this in action. One of the, one of the guys there uh, ha- felt like God gave him some words of knowledge at the end of the meeting. And he had um, bus stop, green, green jumper, right ear. And then he said to God, anything else? And God said, 60. So actually, he was so full of faith, he rushed out of the church in the meeting to the bus stop outside the building to see if there was someone there, and there wasn't. But then later on in the day, he was out getting milk. And this is what he says. Later in the afternoon, I went to buy some milk, and I passed an old man in a green jumper. Did I say green jumper or blue jumper? In a, okay, in a green jumper, sat at a bus stop. It turned out he had tinnitus in his right ear and had celebrated his 60th birthday the day before. Did you get that? That's mad. He said, I prayed for his ear, and, and his instant response was, holy bleep, it's loads better. I prayed for him again, and he said that the buzzing had completely gone. I got to share with him how Jesus loved him, shared the gospel with him, and invited him to come to church on Sunday. And then his bus came, and he had to go. Isn't that amazing? Amazing, amazing story. Jesus modeled what life looks like for every believer, for every single one of us. We get to do the same stuff. That's a huge privilege. Huge provocation, huge privilege. Thirdly, and this is where I want us to land for a bit. Third thing we can learn from this passage is that imitating Jesus involves both demonstrating and proclaiming the kingdom. I want to spend a chunk of time in this section because this is really what God has been speaking to me about. Jesus' ministry on the earth involved both proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand and then demonstrating what it looked like. And when he sent his disciples, it was exactly the same. Proclaim, announce the good news of the kingdom and then demonstrate what it looks like. 
And what I have realized over several months now is that I am much more comfortable demonstrating the kingdom than I am proclaiming. I am much more comfortable showing people what the kingdom looks like than really talking about the king to them. And really the, the provocation, I'm going to tell you just how the provocation started. Um, I, I met with one of our TSM students uh, just around a year ago, and she had just read one of our books that we have our students read. And it was all about, it's a brilliant book, and it's all about how you can demonstrate the love of Jesus just in your everyday life. And it's got amazing stories in there of people, you know, serving people, showing God's love to people through serving, through buying them gifts, through encouraging them, through prophesying over them, through praying for them. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. But she came to me because she wanted to talk through. She was surprised that it didn't also talk about one of the ways we can love people is actually to give them the gospel and actually tell them about Jesus. And she was surprised. And we sat and we talked. And I was so provoked by her because she said to me at one point, she said to me, Wendy, if I think about what I'm being taught at TSM, she said, in the same way that you can teach us to have faith that we can hear God prophetically for anyone we meet, and in the same way that you teach us to have faith that we can pray for the sick anywhere and everywhere, and we can expect to see God do something amazing, actually, you can also teach us that there's power in the gospel. That when you actually talk about Jesus, when you actually share the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, there is power in the words you speak to bring change to that person's life. And I was brilliantly provoked, <laughs> personally. And maybe it's just me, but I wanted to share it with you anyway. And then uh, what was amazing was a few months later, I got to be with this student in India. So this was last year, October time. She's now living there, and she's basically reaching, she's basically living the life, going into slums and telling people about Jesus. And I had the absolute privilege of going with her on one occasion into the slum. And uh, I was so far out of my comfort zone, you wouldn't believe it. But very quickly walked into this slum, and this woman came up to us, very quickly invited us to go and sit outside her hut. And we sat outside her hut, and I saw again, I was provoked again by the conviction this woman carries about the power of the gospel, because... I was just totally overwhelmed by the physical needs of everybody around me and the massive material needs of everything around me. But what I saw in her was a conviction, they just need to hear about Jesus. They just need to hear about Jesus. And so we sat with them. And you know, the other reason I felt thoroughly provoked is because I realized that I was completely ill-prepared to share the gospel or to share any of my story about what Jesus had done in my life. So this is what happened. We sat down outside this hut. We got talking, and she's speaking to them in Hindi and relaying to me what's happening. And she turned to me, and she said, do you want to give them the gospel? And I was like, ah! And what came out of my mouth was, oh, no, you go for it. I want to learn from you. Now, just to confess, that's code for, I've got absolutely no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I feel totally out of my comfort zone. I have no idea what to say. I mean, I have to be kind to myself. I was in a completely bizarre environment like I'd never experienced before. But honestly, um, I was like, no, you do it. I want to learn from you. So she gives them the gospel and they have this conversation. She's relaying stuff to me. And then she turns to me and she says, why don't you tell them some of what Jesus has done in your life? And I was like, oh, no. 
And before, before she gave me the chance to say yes or no, she turned to them and said, would, you, would, you, would it be okay if we, Wendy shared some of her story? And they're like, yes, yes. You're like, I don't, and I would just, honestly, guys, I'm so glad you weren't there. I bumbled my way through. I used to be really insecure, and the Lord came and I met Jesus, and oh, it was so awkward. But they were so lovely, so receptive. And uh, my lasting memory for, from sitting outside that hut was how close God was. Like his presence was so unbelievably close. And just seeing the power of the gospel. So at one point, at one point you could see the conviction coming into their minds. They were Hindus. You could see them start to question. And one of them actually said, I think this is true. I think this is true, but they also realized, they began to ask, if we believe in Jesus, do we have to stop believing in all these other gods? And we had to say yes. They were beginning to grasp what was going on. Why? Just, we just told them the gospel, and God broke in and met with them. It was a beautiful moment. And as I reflected on that experience, I realized, to be honest with you, I'd built up a little bit of shame about the gospel. And talking about Jesus. I don't know if anyone else can relate to this. I've reflected on other times when I've been out with my very good friend Claire Coggan, who is brilliant at proclaiming the gospel. And we've got into conversations about Jesus just because that's what she does. And far too quickly for my liking, she asks them, Do you know Jesus? And I'm like, I just want to back off here, I want the ground to open up, swallow me. But, but I reflected, why? Because I'm, I've got some shame. Actually, she's doing exactly what needs to happen in that moment. Do you know Jesus? Why? What's wrong with asking someone that question? Do you know Jesus? Would you want to know Jesus? <laughs> and so, increasingly, I'm feeling like God is provoking me, and I'm getting increasingly convinced that Yes, it's showing people what the kingdom's like, but it's also introducing people to the king, telling people who he is and what he's like. And of course, loving people has got to be the motivation for proclaiming the gospel, just as much as it is demonstrating the gospel. You know, proclaiming the kingdom, telling people the good news of the gospel is not about winning an argument or getting someone to believe something that, that they should believe. Now, interestingly, even as I was praying about what to speak about this morning, I was walking around the river, and I saw two ladies um, were talking to a guy. The guy was, like, perched on a, on a wall, and they were standing pretty close to him. And I, I, I quickly realized that they were talking to, them, to him about Jesus. And on the one hand, I was provoked. I was like, they're doing the very thing that I'm feeling like God is speaking to me about. But on the other hand, I felt a bit uncomfortable with the the sitting arrangements, because the guy was sitting there and two of them were kind of standing over him. And I thought, something about that doesn't feel right. I thought, at least get down to his level so that you can speak to him on a level. And so I felt like God said in that moment, you've got to remember it has to be about loving the person. It's not about proving an argument or getting a point across. It has to come out of loving the person in front of you. It has to always be about love. But, you know, I want to get to a place like, Paul, who says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of this good news in Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. So, I guess this is my question. If we're convinced that the proclaiming the kingdom is just as important and powerful as demonstrating it, what is it that we're actually meant to proclaim? 
What are we actually meant to say? And are we prepared? You know, it's interesting. In, in this passage in Scripture that we've read at the beginning, the Jews would have understood that when Jesus declared and the disciples declared the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it caused such a stir because they knew what that meant. They had the book of Isaiah. Isaiah would have been known very well by them. And throughout Isaiah, it talks about this new king who's coming. And he's bringing a kingdom full of peace and comfort and joy and healing and deliverance and justice. And they were waiting for this king and his kingdom. They were waiting for the promise. And so when Jesus came and the disciples came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, they were like, great, we're in. That's why everyone rushed to hear what was going on. Because they'd been waiting for years. We've got to realize we're proclaiming God's kingdom into a different context. So if you went to Morrison's after this meeting, said, please, can I borrow the tannoy? And you said over the tannoy, good news, everyone, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'd have a bunch of confused shoppers. They wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about, would they? So we still want to introduce people to the kingdom. We've still got to show people that when they come to know Jesus, they get drafted into this family where he becomes their father and they become sons and daughters. They get identity transplants and they get brought into this kingdom where they then have a mandate to release God's goodness and kindness wherever they go, wherever they have influence, that they can heal the sick, that they can hear God's voice, that it's the whole deal. There's a whole deal that they're brought into. We've got to show them and tell them about the kingdom, but we've got to start by introducing them to the king. We've got to start by telling them about the king. Who is Jesus? And what has he done? And uh, I don't know about you, but I was really provoked last week by Sachin. Like the, th <laughs> the guy who spoke, I was like, man alive, you should be up preaching for me next week. His, his conviction about the power of the gospel was awesome, wasn't it? Do we feel ready and confident to give the gospel to the people around us? If I said to you, you've got one minute to tell us the gospel, would you freeze? Or would you run away? Would you want the ground to swallow you up? Or would you know what to say? Would you have some thoughts about this? I thought it would be fun to give it a go, actually. Don't worry, I'm not going to get anyone up the front. Steve Westwood is like, ah, don't pick on me. Um, saw that, like, wah! I'm not going to get anyone up the front, but I thought, I'm going to talk through the key points of the gospel, okay? It's not a formula. We've got to realize we've got to be led by the Spirit, but I want us to give it a go with our partner, and I'm going to time one minute, and we're going to see how we go at giving the gospel in one minute, and then we're going to swatch, switch over and do it, to the, do it back to the other person, and just get our gospel muscles building a little bit. Um, and obviously, as I said, this is not a formula. And if you're, if you're doing this with friends or family members, you've got much longer to talk it through. Okay? But if you're out on the street and God opens up an opportunity, are you ready? Do you feel prepared? So let's talk it through. And as I'm talking this through, let Jesus blow your brains again about how amazing it is what he's done in your life. What Jesus has done for you. So four things. I'm going to go from really quickly. Number one, start with creation. God has created you to be in relationship with him. That was always his intention. You have been made to be in relationship with the God of the universe. He is a brilliant, perfect father, and he wants you as his sons and daughters. Wow. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. Secondly, sin. We have chosen to turn our backs on God 
and go our own way where we are at the center of our lives and we are living for ourselves. Our selfishness, our greed, our pride, the wrong things we think, the bad things we say, all separate us from the relationship we've been made for. And nothing we can do can get ourselves back. We're stuck. We're stuck, separated. Three, Jesus. Three, Jesus. The great news is, because God loves us so much, he sent his dearly loved son so that Jesus could take all of our mess, all of our mistakes, all of our sin, our selfishness, our pride on himself in his own body. And he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he was punished in our place. And he died in our place. And then the great news is he came back to life. And he defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated sickness. He defeated every single power of darkness. And he has now risen again in a place of complete and utter victory, which means that we can come back into relationship with God. We can be forgiven. We can be washed clean. We can come back into the relationship with God we've been made for. Four, choice. What do you want to do with what I've just told you? Do you understand it? Do we need to talk about it some more? If God was real, a great question I often ask, if God was real, would you want to meet with him? Because I know if someone meets with God, it's going to change something. If Jesus was here knocking on the door of your heart, would you open it to him? Because he is. He's knocking on the door of your heart, but he's not going to force his way in. I had a brilliant, a beautiful opportunity a few weeks ago. I spoke at Revive at the night shelter. It's like their little small group. Three guys came into the room. And I just talked about the prodigal son story, actually. It's interesting. Simon mentioned that this morning. I just told them what the father's like. And it was amazing. I told them what the father's like. I just, and there was one particular guy I thought, if you, want, if, if you say yes to me praying for you, I know you're going to meet with God. And he, he did. We got to pray for him. And he had different religious views um, he wasn't a Christian at all. He had different opinions. But as we began to pray for him, God started to meet with him, like really powerfully. And I said to him, look, if Jesus was here knocking on the door of your heart, would you say yes to him? Would you, would you invite him into your life? And he said to me, the door is already open. At which point he took off a bracelet he was wearing, which I think was significant for his other beliefs. And he says, I, I won't be needing this. And it was just a beautiful moment. The conviction, the I hadn't told him about to take a band off. It was just the Holy Spirit came and met with him, and in God's presence, he realized, I need to change this, and I need to change that, and he opened his heart to Jesus. It was amazing. So, let's give it a go, shall we?